Oh, can we just talk to God just for a little bit longer here? Jesus, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You for Your grace, Lord. Oh, Lord, our chains are gone. Lord, we've been set free because of You. God, we thank You. We thank You. We thank You. We thank You. Praise God. Praise God. As you remain standing, our kids can be dismissed. I'd like you to turn your attention. Turn your attention to Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're just going to stand just for a moment just to read the Word of God together. Philippians 4, verse 6. The Scripture says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good, report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. One more time, can we just close our eyes and pray and just ask God to bless the remainder of this service. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your glory. God, we ask you, Lord, to just be upon us this morning. We thank you for what we feel right now. We ask you, Lord, to continue to guide us and anoint us and let this word come into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I wonder if you can mute um, the MP. Did you mute it? I needed this. You can be seated. Bear with me here. Just get set up. Last week we touched on the battle for your mind. We're going to continue on with something very similar. I guess you can call it a part two, but there's a man who many believed was the greatest American president as a good example of attitude. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home and he went to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he didn't have the education. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, the business partner died. The resulting debt took years to repay. When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him and she turned him down. In his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but then failed to be reelected. His son died at four years of age. When this man was 45, he ran for Senate and he lost. At age 47, he ran for vice presidency and he lost. But at age 51, he was elected president of the United States. Some of you that are history buffs already know we're talking about Abraham Lincoln. A man who learned to face discouragement and move beyond it. 
Did you know that it was Abraham Lincoln who in the midst of the Civil War in 1863 established the annual celebration of Thanksgiving? Lincoln had learned how important it is to stop and thank God in the midst of great difficulties. Lincoln understood the battle for the mind very much. It was his failures, though, that taught him to train his mind to refuse the right things and choose the right things. And I don't mean refuse the right things. He refused, the things that he refused were the right things to refuse. And the things that he chose were the right things to choose. He learned how to do that. But if we open back up in our opening text and read it from the New Living Translation, I want to dissect this scripture a little bit more. Philippians 4 again, verse 6 from the New Living says, Don't worry about anything. Paul is telling us to refuse to worry about things. Worry has never helped anyone. Ask yourself this. What has worry done for you besides add color to your hair and take years off of your life? That's literally what worry does for you, which is really comes down to it. It does nothing. Nothing positive. Paul went on to say, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has already done. Instead, you refuse to worry and instead you choose. You choose to talk to God. You choose to leave your worrying with God. Notice Paul didn't say the things you can't handle. Instead, he said, choose to give everything to God in prayer. Everything. Not just the things that you can't handle, but even the things you can handle. Give it before God. Let Him have His hand upon it. Put everything in prayer. Choose to give everything to God in prayer and focus on thanking Him for all of He has done. That is what President Lincoln did. In the midst of travesty and negativity and plenty to not be thankful for when a country is going through civil war, he chooses to come up with a holiday called Thanksgiving. Come on, think about it. It's like in the midst of our issues right now. They say we never had Thanksgiving. And all we got is the riot wars or the the race wars and the riots going on and COVID-19. And all of a sudden Trump says, look at, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a national holiday called Thanksgiving. What do we have to be thankful for? My loved one just died of COVID. Somebody judges me because of my color. Everybody hates everyone, especially if they're of a different race. What is there to be thankful for? Our world is completely divided, especially our country. You're going to seriously come up with Thanksgiving? That's what President Lincoln had going on. He had a civil war. The country, talk about divided, it was completely divided. It was divided as much as you can possibly imagine. It was divided. They were at war with each other. And he has the audacity to come up with a holiday called Thanksgiving. It's because Abraham Lincoln understood that let's be thankful for things. But this is the power of being thankful. It's a tool to win over the enemy of our minds. Verse 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul says he that we will receive peace and not just receive it, but it will guard our hearts and our minds. That is what pushes... The martyrs behind the, beyond the veil of fear and worry and anxiety. 
People are being martyred for their faith. They push past fear. They push past anxiety. They push past worry because they know the peace of God of where they're going after they die. They understand that this earth is not our home. Instead, we have an earth to lose and a heaven to gain. And that is what they choose to look for. They chose to look up for the redemption draweth nigh. They didn't choose to, to, to get into the, the molly grubs of their mind and their, and their fears and, their, and, and what people hated them for. Instead, they chose to believe, remind themselves of where they were going after this life. Because this is a temporary location. Verse 8. This is the one scripture I tell people all the time. If, if you think God doesn't care about what you think, He gave you this verse because He cares. He wanted to give you what you should think about. Paul literally says, think on these things. Think on these things. Think on what God is trying to put into your life. Think on them. So verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Oh, I can take a lot of time just in that right there. Sometimes we get so caught up in focus. So if it's on Facebook, does it mean it's true? No. If it's on Twitter, does it mean it's true? No. Is it because it's in the newspaper, does it mean it's true? No. But yet that's what gets us so high anxiety and worrisome and ticked off and mad and angry is the stuff we read in those places. Paul is trying to tell us, think on those things are true. In the, in, the, in the times of chaos and turmoil, I still know who sits on the throne. He has never left it. It is true. I still know what word to hold on to. His word. It's true. It's everlasting. Think on those things that are honorable. Things that bring honor. It's okay. We can still celebrate the great things that our country has had. Yes, have we had, like any other country, times of, of, of embarrassment, times where we look back and we're, we're embarrassed that, our, that we believed such a thing and that we followed such a thing. Absolutely, every country has that. There's no country exempt from it. Even the greatest, the greatest country that God called now is Israel. They had their ups and downs. They still have that. Every country has its ups and downs. It doesn't mean you can't celebrate the good things. Honor those things that are honorable. Think on those things that are right, that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. If there's anything that, that you should focus on and try to do every week, if not almost every day, read the scripture and say, God, help me think on these things. Help me let these things be what guides me every single day and every moment and every decision that I make. We must learn to refuse and choose. Refuse to allow negativity to control you. Refuse to allow disability to define you. Refuse to allow your past to hold you. Refuse to allow the enemy convince you of his lies. Refuse to live a defeated life. Instead, we must choose 
to allow truth of God's word inspire you. Choose to allow God to define who you are. Choose to allow God to give you a future he has planned for you. Choose to allow God to tell you what he thinks about you. And choose to live a victorious life. It's something we choose to do. Yes. We refuse the neg negative stuff and we choose what God has promised. The Bible says that Jesus came so that we can live a life full of joy. Amen. There's too many Christians that live a life of sorrow. When God has called us to live a life of joy, Jesus didn't call come so that we can live a life of sorrow and depression. Instead, he came. John 10, 10 tells us the thief cometh not but to steal and steal, kill and to destroy. That's the business of the enemy. He's here to destroy you. He's here to kill you. He's here to bring you down and destroy your life. But Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I love how the Amplified Bible says it. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. That's his only purpose. Don't think negotiation with the enemy is ever going to work out to your favor. His end purpose is to destroy you. It might seem right. It might seem okay. It might seem like, oh, this isn't a big deal if I do this. No, it will be at the end of the day. His purpose and plan is to destroy you. That's what he wants to do. But I love this Amplified says about what Jesus says. I come that they might have and enjoy life and have it in abundance. That means to be full till it overflows. Did you know that's in your Bible? That God wants you to have a life that's full of joy and not just a little bit of joy. He wants it overflowing out of you. He wants it consuming you, but instead we're consumed by that which is easy to be consumed by, and that's the negative. Yep. When you live in a society and a world that leans easier to the negative stuff, it's going to be a lot easier to lean on that than on those things that are positive. That's why Paul even teaches us in Corinthians, be careful who your friends are. Be careful who you spend most of your time with. Because if you spend most of your time with someone of negativity, they're going to be, you're going to turn them to be negative. I, I, you know, to be transparent, my type of personality is I'm kind of a chameleon. I, I, I tend to kind of blend in sometimes. And that's just kind of my personality. But and I noticed that when I was in the military, there was a guy, he was from, uh, he was from New York. And he was Italian. And he had that Eastern Italian accent. You know what I mean? You know, he just talked like this. And so... He'd be talking to me, he'd say, hey, yo, Leo, you know, I was calling my mom, you know, I was calling my mom, I said, hey, boss, me. She's like, who's this? He said, boss, me. And she's like, no, no, who is this? I said, boss, me, it's Mikey. That's literally what his name was. Like, that's literally how it did. I said, he talked, he was, he was thick Italian, East Coast accent. And I'm telling you, I talked to that dude after an hour, but all of a sudden I catch myself. And I started talking very similar to him. That's just the way I was. That's what I ate. But that rubs off on a lot of people. If somebody's negative all the time, it's going to eventually rub off on your life as negative. That's why it's important to feed yourself with the right stuff. Get your face out of the same news every day. I don't care which side of the field that you're watching it and looking at it at, whether it's the, the left side, the right side, or in between, you're going to find negativity anyway. It's going to be negative, no matter whose perspective. It's negative. 
And, and if you feed yourself with nothing but negative, you're going to think everything's over and the world is done and you can't help anybody. But that's not how God works. God has called you to do more than that. God has called you. He has positive things He can put into your life. That's why it's important to feed yourself with other stuff. Amen. Just on Sundays ain't going to do it. Just on Wednesday nights isn't going to be enough. You're going to have to put your nose in this book every single day. My effort every day is to not read anything else first but this. The first thing I read. Because I want this to be the first thing on my heart and my mind. I want this to be the first thing that I saturate my life with. Because this is what guides it. This is what leads it. And I want that to be what I am. The enemy of your soul is out to destroy your mind. But Jesus did not come so that you that we are destroyed. No, sir. No, ma'am. He came so that you and I can enjoy life and have an overflowing abundance of it. He didn't say trials won't come. He didn't say problems won't arise. He didn't say things wouldn't be messy. But he did promise this in his word. That in our weakness, he is made strong. That's what Paul said in your Bible. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 says this in the New King James Version. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in needs in persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak. Then I am strong. I love how the New Living Translation says this. I've heard some people come to me telling me this before, just like this. Three different times I begged the Lord. I've heard people tell me, I've been begging God. Well, first of all, stop begging God. Let that sink in. Just stop begging Him. You don't need, He's not looking, you don't have to beg Him. You can talk to Him. Ask Him what you need. But Paul says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. I love this part. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I keep saying that's in your Bible. Because you need to refuse to allow your stinking thinking to tell you that you don't have access to the answers. Because you do. It's sitting right in your hands. Whether it's on a phone or whether it's in a paperback. You have access to God's word. And God's word has the answers to your life. Yes. Has the answer for your situation. Yes. Has the answer to your circumstance. Amen. But I don't always understand it. Ask God to help you understand it. I have a friend of mine who, who says he knows a guy. I don't know the guy. So maybe this is true or not true. You let your own faith. I believe. There's a guy who says he knows he cannot read. But the only thing he can't read is the Bible. I believe that God gives inspiration if you can do that. God, the Bible, the education, the, the scholars have already proven this is a fifth grade reading level. They're very proven. Fifth grade reading. It's because God didn't try to make it so deep and 
and, and confusing and nobody could. He made it so all of us can understand. So all of us can apply it to life. The Bible's the only thing out there that is the most cutting edge, current, and relevant message that we have today. I mean, look what we just, just in the, in the um, class before, we were just in our, our morning class, and, and we read in Romans 13. What did we talk about? The governor stuff. The government and submitting to governors, uh, secular government. Why, how relevant is that today? I mean, you talk about a message that was still relevant today. It fit us today. Why? Because the Bible fits all times. It doesn't matter what season you're in. There's something for your season. There's something in here for your season. So refuse to allow yourself to be convinced that you don't have the answers to life. You do have the answers if you crack open the book. I can't listen. I'm telling you, I've told some people before when I pastor them, the more I pastor, the more I'm being harder about this. Hey, listen, you come to me with an advice. Have you read your Bible? No, not really. I can't help you. If this thing can't help you, I'm not going to help you. This is God's Word. This is what I'm using to help you with. You think I got some beyond understanding and wisdom? No, my wisdom comes from this. It comes from this book. Because this book gives us what we need. It's relevant. It's, it's cutting edge. It's forever life circumstance that you face. But you've got to open it. You've got, to understand, you've got to open it and ask God to give you understanding of it. To reveal itself to you. The Bible says what a man thinks in his heart, so is he. If you want to hear some hard preaching, it's this. In other words, whatever you keep filling your heart up with or your mind, then that's what you're going to tend to lean on the most. If you're leaning on the news out there, you're going to lean on the answers from the news. If you're leaning on some other book out there for your answers, you're going to lean on that author for your answers. But if you lean, Hadamoshaka, if you lean on this word, this is what you'll lean on. If you read this every single day, this is what you'll lean on for understanding. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is what we need more than anything else out there. I've got a library full of books. I read every day. I believe in reading. But this is where my ultimate source comes from. Everything we need in life is right in this book. I don't know who God maybe he's talking to all of us. But there's somebody he's trying to put it in you right now. You are not reading this every day. You are not spending the time that you need to spend. You're too busy looking at other stuff in the, in the news. You're on your phone. You're on the screen. You're out something else. And you keep looking everywhere else and wondering why life is so bad. And you can't get over things when you're not putting this in your life every day. It takes more than a scripture. You've got to marry yourself to this thing. You gotta read a couple chapters a day. There's some of you got a whole lot more time. You can read an entire book a day. I want to talk about a whole book of this. I'm talking about like a book of John. You can do it. You actually have the time. I know some of your schedules. <laughs> you can do it. But see, listen. The scripture says, "Faith cometh by hearing." And see. If we want to understand how to follow this, it takes faith. If you're just reading it and not thinking anything's going to work out, then it's not helping. I, I got libraries of theologians that, that don't have the whole full understanding of the Word of God. And they, they wrote books on the Bible. Okay? They don't need to understand. 
Do they mean they believe it? Because actually they say there's some theologians that are actually a lot of people who don't even believe in the Bible. They really believe it. That's like their job is to write about it. But when you put faith in this, I have so much belief in this that if I just read a chapter, if I read a couple chapters, I God will give me wisdom that day and it might have nothing to do with the chapters I've read. I believe that. That's my faith. I believe it enough that if I put this in my every day, it will give me the answers to every circumstance. Even if it's a scripture I didn't read. I can't tell you how many times I'm talking with somebody or I'm just in my own situation and scriptures I haven't read in months start coming to my mind. The other scriptures start coming to my heart. It's not because, oh, well, you're pastor. No, no, before I was ever pastor, I was doing this. I used to pray. I mean, my, my sermon title has nothing to do like strictly with the word of God, but God is somewhere on this. When I, when I, I used to pray, something I still do, where I would take the Bible and I literally put it on my head. Oh, that's not in the Bible, Pastor. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, I do know that the Jews put it to their forehead, but I, I'm not talking about that. I understand they're saying that they have to open the book and put it in your head and pray over it and, and God's going to do all this stuff. No, He doesn't. But I have enough faith that by me taking that step with God and saying, God, let this right here just be consumed in my mind and let this consume my heart. I want to be in love with it. I want to be infatuated by it. I want it to run my life. I want it to run my house. I want it to be everything. And as I do this, I have enough faith, God, that you're going to do it. I understand it's not in your book to do, tell you to do that, but that's my faith. you got to have your faith. you got to do it. Jesus told them that all the time. You look at all the miracles that Jesus did. He never said, by my faith, you're healed. He said, by your faith, by your belief, the woman comes and touches the hem of his garment. He says, by your faith, to touch my garment. Nobody ever touched the garment before God healed, but she just believed, if I can just touch that garment, I'm sure. There's no Bible passage. There's no scripture etched on a pillow that told her to do that. There's nothing on a mirror that told her how to do that. No, she just had a gust of enough faith to say, just touch his presence. If I just touch him, he's going to heal me. That's the kind of faith you got to have. That's how you win the wolf of the mind, of the battle of the mind. It's your faith, it's your belief, and refusing to allow that stinking thinking and choose to allow that gospel thinking, that good book thinking, that good word thinking, that God thinking. If you allow that to be in your mind, you will find your day is different. Amen. No, I don't believe you just jump out of bed. I've heard some people say, you know what? This is what you got to do. I've heard preachers say, I've been crazy. I just jump out of bed. I put my feet down. I said, take it, Jesus. And I'm like, that's you. That ain't me. Where's the coffee? I need to wake up. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not that spiritual. But I think I'm talking to a bunch of people that are real. Okay? I don't wake up jumping out of bed. I, there's days, my days aren't good at all. There's some days I'm in a funk mental. And I've got to get, just like anyone in here, I've got to get this book in my mind. And I say, God, help me with my mind today. I can tell I'm just in a funk today. I'm in a different process. And I ask you, God, to help me have good thinking. Help this be what's in my mind. The key to the battle over your mind is you. Is you choosing and refusing. Those two words need to resonate in your mind consistently. 
The Word of God needs to be read every day and more than a couple passages. You have to spend time with it. You will make time for what you want in your life. If you want more of God, then you will make, more, make time for more of God. I'll say that again. You will make time for what you want in your life. Yes, you will. That is what you will do. I know I'm jumping to some people's cornflakes. I get it. I'm messing with some. I'm messing with things. But that's just what I do. I'm a pastor. I get to meddle. But this is the thing. If you want more of God, then you have to make more time for God. Yes, Listen to what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. He asked God to take something away that was obviously painful. Ever been there? Yeah. Ever had something painful in your life that just doesn't seem to leave? Yeah. Mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever that is? You ever been there before? Okay, good. So I'm talking to the right group. I love how the New Living Translation brings this out when Jesus responds to Paul. My grace is all you need. That's the answer. That Sometimes in our life, we're looking for an answer and we want it to just tickle our toes and, and tickle our feet, tickle our ears and just be so uplifting and encouraging. And here's Paul begging God to take something away from him, this pain, whatever it is in his life. And God says, no, 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 no. My grace, my grace is good enough. Ah, Paul, my grace good enough. You know, this, the, the, the book I read earlier, Philippians, it, the same author of that, the writer, is actually the same guy we're talking about. Paul. And he actually wrote Philippians from a jail cell. Wow. And he's telling us how to think positively. And he's chained up in chains. Now, how many times have you been chained up in your own personal life you think there's no answer. You think there's no way out of this circumstance. You think everything is going against you and God is mad and ticked off at you and judging you. Come on, am I the only one that's ever been there? We got a whole book of Psalms written from David who many times said, God, where are you at? Where have you been, God? He's struggling mentally. There's actually one passage of Scripture where it says that, that David got literally got... His men turned on him and they were going to kill him. And the Bible says that he went to Dr. Phil. He went to Oprah. He found his solution at Facebook. You know what? He read a book that helped him. No, the scripture says he went away and encouraged himself. It doesn't say God encouraged him. It said he encouraged himself in the Lord. You have to learn to refuse to your stinking thinking, refuse to allow the negativity to rule your mind. I know you have a reality of life. I know you have a reality of your circumstance. And I'm not here to tell you the reality is not real. It's real. But I can tell you one thing. God's not going to just make it better for you. Sometimes you've got to get there yourself. Sometimes you've got to crawl yourself back on that altar. And you've got to say, God, encourage me again. I'm trusting in your word. Life is horrible right now. Everything's coming against me. But God, I know you still are on the throne. I know you still have a plan for my life. I know you didn't make me to fail. You made me succeed. I know that you've got time for me. But he doesn't do that for you. You have to get up and do it yourself. 
says, David encourages his And here it's Paul writing to the Corinthian church. He's trying to help them understand something. I know where you're at. I know what it's like for God not to answer prayers. I know what it's like when he just gives you this word that just says, my grace is enough. The cross is enough for you, Paul. My forgiveness in your life is enough. Me allowing you to breathe today is enough. Me allowing you to still have voice to talk to me is enough. My grace is enough. But here's something that he goes, in, he goes into a little bit further. And I love this part. My grace is all you need. I love how the New Living Translation says it. But my power, Jesus says, my power works best in weakness. That should literally liberate everybody in this room. God's power works best in weakness. Basically, just like a, a, an outlet for us to plug in this light here, I need an outlet to plug it into. There's a required source. There's a required ailment. The only way this thing is going to function is if it has a power source. It needs power from something else. So, yes, it's bright, and it, you, get, you put your eyes in front of it, and you're seeing blue for a while. I'm telling you, I still can kind of see it right now. I, like, when I turn it on, I turn away. Click. Because it will brighten your eyes if you blind it. You've got to put sunglasses to turn that light on. It's powerful. But it doesn't get powerful until its weakness is exposed. That it needs an outlet in order for its power to come out. Come on, somebody get that revelation right now. There is things inside of you that God can do through you, but it's required that you have weaknesses so that you are required to plug into His power source for yes. you to be powerful in Him. Yes. Instead of looking at your weaknesses as your ailment and as your excuse to not do something, you need to look at your weakness as a reason for God's power to work through you. Yes. This is the battlefield of the mind. Your mind is in constant battle to say, no, I need this. I can't do this. When God is saying, I left, left all that stuff in your life so that you require me for the power. Because that's where my power works best is in your weakness, not your strength. We'll get into the strengths. I don't got a lot of time. We'll get into the moment. But I just feel like God is on a thread here with somebody. Try to get somebody an enlightenment, a revelation of understanding that your weakness, your disability, your ailment, your shortcoming, whatever that situation is, your addiction, whatever it is, whatever situation you face in your life that holds you down, your past, God is trying to say, I can't remove some, I'm not removing some of those things. I'm not, he's not saying he's gonna get he'll get you out of sin. I'm not talking about sin here. He'll get you out of the Bible. Paul writes. That God, that sin comes to all men. And common sin comes to every man and every woman. But God will provide a way out of your sin every single time. Because He doesn't want you in your sin. But what Paul is talking about here is whatever your shortcoming is. Whatever the doctor has prescribed. Whatever you've been determined and diagnosed with. God is here to tell you that within that weakness that you are holding on to. God's greatest power can work through that circumstance and that situation. Amen. You look at the stories in the Bible. You know why so many people love the Bible? 
even if they're not full-blown Christians or Jews, they love the underdog stories. They love that uh, nobody knows. Uh, some say that, that Moses stuttered. He had some kind of speech problem, whatever that was. Some say it stuttered. Some say, I don't know what it was. But it was a speech impediment. There's some kind of speech issue. And he uses this man to lead millions out of Egypt. Basically, Moses never won the, the, the Oscar or won the, um, the award for the, the greatest. Um, he, he was never invited to do the, um, the Toastmaster. You know Toastmasters? It, it's like a, it's like a um, great speaker, basically. It's a reward for great speakers. You're, you're asked to come and speak because they love your speaking. Or he was in, he would never been asked to go to do the graduation commencement. Okay, Moses had never been asked to do that. But God said, within your weaknesses, because he kept making excuses to God. God, I can't do this, I can't do that. He said, okay, well, here's your answer. Here's your other answer. And he's like, all right, fine. I guess I have to do it. Paul. Here's a man that, that threw hundreds and thousands in jail. Christians. Known for, for many family members that were thrown in jail because of this man. And then God calls him to preach the gospel and calls him to go places and preach it where people knew, where he knows there's people there that he probably threw his family member in jail or got them killed. You talk about weakness, but God used that. He used Peter's foot-to-mouth approach. Some call Peter the apostle with a foot-shaped mouth. How many times he say something like, oh, But he uses him to be the vocal cord, the, the spokesman for the early church. Time and time again, you find people, you find David, obviously the smallest of all. There, there's numerous, you, you look at the David's mighty men. And I, a guy named, I, I'm, I'm getting beyond myself, but there's scripture after scripture of stories of people that they're weakness. But God exposed his power within their weakness. The key to God's power is within our weakness. It doesn't say sin. This is where too many of us lean on ourselves to fix our problems or addictions or issues. Remember this battle for your mind is daily and will continue till you die. <laughs> now, I just sat in a lot of people just now. You're thinking, seriously, I'm going to struggle for the rest of my life for the next 40 to 60 years. I'm stuck with this. And my answer is yes. It's yes if you're leaning on the wrong source of your strength and joy. You are feeling exhausted in your life because you are leaning on yourself and other people and not leaning enough on God. If you keep running life that way, then you will run out of gas. You continue to lean on yourself for everything and others. You will exhaust yourself to overexhaustion, and you could even you could get into a deep, dark depression. That's right. You're, you're not exempt from that ever happening. You're not exempt from life hitting you that way if you constantly lean on yourself all the time. You need to learn how to choose to lean on Jesus in your moments of weakness. 
You need to learn how to choose to lean on his understanding in your moments of confusion. You need to learn how to choose to lean on his mercy and grace in your moments of doubt. Remember to live at a pace of grace. Notice I talked about leaning on him while in your moments of weakness. And I did that on purpose. Because God has gifted you with talents and abilities and strengths. And he expects you to use them. However, he doesn't expect you to take credit for him. Instead, you and I are giving him credit for the gifts that he gives to us. That's what happened to Lucifer. He allowed his gifts to become his God. And when the enemy begins to win the battle over our minds, we will begin to think we have this and that and achieve all that solely on my strengths. And that is true. But where you go wrong is not giving credit to God and glory. He gave that ability to you. Just like he gave us the plan of salvation. It's not because of anything I did that I get this opportunity to obey the gospel. No, it's his grace that gave me this opportunity to obey it. Same with our strengths. I know what they are and I know what they what to do with them. And so do you. But we go wrong when we don't give God glory for them. That is the trap in leaning on ourselves. Our strength will say, well, last time I did this, it worked. Last time I leaned on my strength, it worked. Last time I, I took advantage of my gifting, it worked. But as soon as God pulls himself out of it, we fall flat. That's right. And then we get stuck in the same rut, thinking this is the only way. Lean on myself, lean on myself, lean on this gift. If you want to win the battle over your mind, and I'm almost done here, in the battle over life, then you have to lean on Jesus and trust in the gifts He gave you and me. You have to refuse to agree with the enemy when he tells you that you don't have what it takes to make it. Your past hinders you. Your addiction still haunts you. Your disability determines your identity. Your financial status is too hard to break out of. But listen, we must refuse to listen. And instead, you have to learn how to preach to yourself and preach to the devil. You have to learn how to preach to yourself and to the devil. You've got to learn how to preach to yourself and the devil. You have to learn to do that. Nobody can do it for you. You have to learn to preach this message in opposite of what he tells you. My past does not determine my future. God determines that. My addictions don't control me. My strength is in the Lord. I will determine my identity through the help of the Lord, not my disability. My financial status is not earthly. My daddy has a mansion and it's waiting for me in heaven. I know where I'm going at the end. I don't care if I don't have $2 bills to rub together. I have a mansion in heaven. I got a God in heaven that's given me greater things than I could ever hope wishful. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm closing here. As a musician can come. This morning, I want to give someone a profound concept that will revolutionize your life. In Philippians, we are told what to think about, which, which all of it entails positive thinking. But then in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us to surrender our weakness to Jesus because it's then that we are strong. He even goes as far as to say we need to boast about our weaknesses. So he goes in one, one, one epistle writing, he goes to, because we didn't unmute it. He goes into reading and he's saying, listen, we got to be positive, think positive. But then in another, another letter, 
He writes about all the negative about ourselves and our weakness. Listen, your weakness is not the worst thing about you. I'm going to let that just sit for a moment. Your weakness is not the worst thing about you. As a matter of fact, it's probably your greatest power source. I feel like I've got to say it again. Your weakness is not the worst thing about you. Obviously, if it's leading to sin, that's different. Again, let's just go ahead this thing. That's not what I'm talking about. But your weakness can literally be the best thing that's sitting inside of you. Now, when you lean more on Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses. Have you ever walked around and said, yeah, I'm horrible at this. I'm horrible at that. Yeah, I'm terrible. Yeah, I'm terrible at this. Yeah, nope, I can't do this. I can't do that. Yeah, my wife, this person persecuted me. These people ragged on me. My parents abandoned me. Do you run around and boast about those things? No, I don't think so because I don't either. But Paul said, I do. You know what I do? Because within all of that, I see God. There's a great song out there called Scars. It's within the scars that I see his love. It's within the scars. It's within my struggles. It's within my weaknesses that I know how loving he really is. How caring he really is. How faithful he really is. How wonderful he really is. Come on, Pastor, what are you talking about? We're still stuck with this circumstance. I still have this issue in my life, but God is still good. But God is still on the throne. Do you understand that that ailment in your life, you're not taking it to heaven? It's going to stay right here. Oh, I wish my best friend was healed of cancer. For whatever reason, God took him at a time I don't feel he should have been taken. But God had his reasons. God had his purpose. And I'm just being selfish because I know where he's at. He's in a greater place. He's in a place I wish I want to be right now because I know it's greater there than it is here. But I want to tell you, friend of God, I want to tell you, friend of mine, that God has a plan for you. Don't let your weakness hold you down. Don't let your weakness determine who you are. In fact, let your weakness define your future. Let your weakness tell everyone else. This is God. Everyone he can do. Listen, when I do what I do, I can't get credit when it's in my weaknesses. I have to give that credit to him. Well, there's a bona fide miracle that God does. I can't get credit for it, even if it was my hand that touched it. I don't got some certain special hands of anointing that if I touch somebody and they receive healing, or they receive the Holy Ghost, or they receive something in their life, it's not because of this hand. It's because of my God. Yes. It's because of who He is. Who He is. It's what He does. Let's stand. Because was he what he's capable of doing, what he's able to do. Here is the concept I feel the Lord gave me. We as a people of God will live an overcoming life and be consistently victorious over our minds if we choose to focus our energy on our strengths that God gave us and allow Philippians 4 to guide our thoughts. That's our choice. We all get to make it. You have your own strength. Whatever that is, focus on it. Give God glory for having it. 
I don't care how small you think it is. Stop comparing yourself to others. Stop comparing your gifting to someone else's gifting. If it means you sit behind a pew and God uses you for other things and you see someone else at where you want to be is being used greater than you, stop comparing yourself. I know of spouses that hold their other spouse down because they don't want their spouse's ministry to shine over theirs. I don't care if you're a male or a female. I know of female pastors. Come on, man. I understand it's not easy to live in your wife's shadow. I get it. I understand. It's not easy for us to think like that. Listen, I, I know a minister friend in our, in our district. She, she's a great lady. She's a minister. Her husband is obviously not. And so in our district, when we get together, they, they do a thing where there's a, there's a when the men get together and vote in or whatever you do, there's a session for the ladies to get together, the pastor's wives. Why don't you be the husband? They don't have anything for me. I mean, I'm saying, just ask the guys. They, they don't have, I'm not going to go to the wife's class. No, but he's positive about this. I'll find something. I'll figure it out. Because I want my wife to have the ministry God's called her to have. I'm not going to stand in the way. And I don't look, that's the dude's pretty man to believe Got a big old beard. He's rustic and he's outdoorsy and he's something. But his wife, his wife of God is sweet and she's anointed. She has an anointing on her life. It is okay. Your, who, where in this book does it say what ministry is above another? There isn't. Matter of fact, God will, Jesus goes as far as to say, you that are greatest among yourself, you are the servants. That's why they do our ordination. They pull out a towel. I got the towels in there. I'm on one of those got me and the fat, two different colored towels because they ordered the wrong ones. So I get two towels. I see, I'm so special. I'm about to see I can just walk around my preacher friends and say, I got two towels in there. That's how it's The true identity of the towels is Taking that servant, put the towel over and say, How can I serve? If I'm going to serve in a shadow, I'll serve in a shadow. If I serve in the light, I'll serve in the light. Wherever I can serve God, that's where I want to be. And I don't want to hold someone else back because I'm too busy comparing myself and competing. That competing spirit has no room in the world in the church of God. There's no competition of ministry. There's no one ministry above another. I don't care if you're a stay at home dad and your wife works. There is still a problem. Do you know back in the early 12, 1900s that it was the dads that raised the kids? When they turned eight years old, the kids got kicked out of the house and they went to the fields with dad. And dad raised them while mom took care of the home. Literally just the home. She took care of all around the house. But dad raised the kids for eight hours a day while he did his job. That's how it used to be. Where we get this concept that there's one parenting above another parent. Are you kidding me? We've got to stop this nonsense. We're never going to do anything for God if we're too busy competing and comparing. you got to get that out of your mind. The Bible says that it's foolish to compare yourself among each other. Amen. It's foolishness. It, is. it does us no good. But so listen, we have to focus our energy on our strengths. And Philippians 4 will guide our thoughts. And we've got to refuse to allow our weaknesses define who we are. And instead let God be strong in our weaknesses so we can receive more glory, 
He can receive more glory when he does the miraculous through us. Some of you are trying to be a jack of all trades. And if you know the rest of that story, you're a master of none, though. God gave you a strength. He gave you an ability. He gave you something. But you got to fight that mind of yours. you got to fight that brain of yours that keeps trying to tell you that you've got to be like so-and-so or like so-and-so. Listen, I can do it. And nobody's exempt from this. The preacher behind the pulpit. I, I sometimes get caught up in comparing myself with another pastor friend. I start thinking about how long they've been serving, how long they've been pastoring their church, what circumstance they've dealt with. And I even go as far as to think for a second, oh, you know what? Uh, well, they didn't have like I had. There's something different. That's why I'm... It's nothing to do with it. God gave everyone what he's given. I'm telling you right now, if you would learn to surrender your weakness to God and focus on your strengths and healthy thinking, you would crush the enemy under your feet consistently. I'm not telling anybody in this place that this will be easy. But I am telling everyone in this place that with man there's impossibilities. But with God, all things are possible. I feel in this place right now, God is trying to release somebody. He's trying to release somebody's faith. He's trying to release somebody before God. Come on, every eye closed. God is trying to release somebody. He's trying to release your stinking thinking and help you start having that great thinking, that Bible-based thinking. Come on, God wants to give some people healthy thinking. God has plans for every one of you. God has plans for every soul in this room. He has a purpose. He has given you a strength. But it's within your weakness that the greatest power source is paying their torments. Oh God, I pray over every one of us in this place right now. God, I ask you to help us. Help us, Lord, to release our weaknesses to you. Help us to give you credit for our strengths and giftings. But God, I pray that you help us, Lord, to surrender our weaknesses to you. Because our greatest power source is hanging torment because we're so focused on strengthening our weakness. But it's our weakness that you have all your power stored into. That you're going to do great things. And God, in the name of Jesus, I release people in this room right now. Oh, I release some people right now. In the name of Jesus, I release people, God. In Jesus' name, I release some of that negative thinking. I release some of that legacy that they've had all their life. Mom and dad were pessimists. Mom and dad were negative. Grandma and grandpa were the worst thinkers in the world. But in the name of Jesus, I release that right now. That they don't have a grip on them right now in the name of Jesus. And God, I, I release your word. I release your love. I release your spirit into their lives to help them understand that their weakness is not what's going to hold them back. It's them focusing on their weakness that will hold them back. Oh God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Come on, why don't you just make a place of prayer right now? Come on, why don't you just make a place? If you want to come to these altars, you can. Or if you want to make your pew an altar, whatever you want to do. But why don't you just talk to God right now? Come on, just talk to God right now. He wants to do something inside of you.